right, y'all, how we doing? Anybody tired yet? No, we're not tired, right? That's what this is for. That's what this is for. Okay, y'all, if you have a Bible, let me see it in the air. Let me see it nice and high. Okay, you already know where to turn. Give me Ephesians chapter 4. Your Bible's got an Old Testament and New Testament. That Old Testament is your first half of the Bible. The New Testament is your second half of the Bible. The New Testament starts with four guys' names. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those four books are called the Gospels, right? We've, we've said this every night so far, but that word gospel means what? It means good news, right? It means good news. And if you keep turning to the right, you're going to uh, find a book called Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians. Keep turning. You'll find the book of Ephesians that we've been landing in here every night. But as a little bit of a recap, night one, we talked about the fact that there is this God and that he is a maker, right? These videos that you guys have been watching, it's, it's portraying the process of someone who is a maker and something that that maker is making. Isaiah chapter 64 says that he is the potter and that we are the clay. And night one, we looked at this God who says, I'm going to make you on purpose and I'm going to make you for a purpose, and remember, I, I told you a little story about Piper uh, drawing in her little room at her little table, and when she draws, who gets to determine what the drawing is, me or her? Her, right? She is the author. She is the maker. She is the creator. And so what we've been unpacking this entire weekend is the fact that if God is God, if he is maker, if he is author, if he is creator, then he gets to determine and define who you are. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says that God made us in his image, that male and female, the, the pinnacle of his creation, that we were made to glorify him, that we are image bearers. And the problem is that sometimes we don't bear that image so well, that God is a God of love, that 1 John chapter 4 says that it, this is love, not that we loved him. Right? The Bible's not a story about what we have to do to get to him. The Bible's the greatest story ever told about what God has done to get to us. And it says he in his character as maker, as author, as creator, that he himself is love. But the problem is last night we looked at the fact that we don't always trust this love. I remember Piper in the baptismal. Homegirl drinking the water straight out of the baptismal. And then she looks at me and goes, Dada, I, I don't trust that what you have is better for me. And we went all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 where our enemy slithers in and said, did God really say? Hey, what's, what's our enemy trying to get us to do? He's trying to get us to doubt God. Why? Because if we don't trust God, then we won't trust that he is love and that what he has for us is actually the best possible thing. And my favorite definition of sin, the theologian said, our, our sin is our unwillingness to believe that what God wants for us is actually our deepest happiness. So Piper wakes up in the morning and goes, Dada, I want ice cream. And I go, no, Piper, we're not going to have ice cream. And then she throws a fit. She doesn't trust that what Dad has for her is best. But you and I do the same thing. Right? That so often we want what we want, when we want it, how we want it. And when we open up scripture, we see that this lack of trust, this sin in our lives, that we are all guilty of it. Right? Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, we have all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. And so we have this God who is author and maker and creator, and as we sang tonight, that he is holy and he is set apart. Right? And his love never fails, it never gives up on us. Remember when he said, I am, that his, that's his name, 
that he is the same yesterday as he is today as he is tomorrow. You know what that means? In his love, in his character, he knows everything about you, and that love never changes. It doesn't ever flow. You can never do anything that God looks at you and goes, oh, I actually love you a little bit more now. And on the flip side, you could never do anything to make God go, hmm, I actually, I don't really love you anymore. His love never changes. It is constant. And so there is this God, and yet we ourselves, we find ourselves over here in, in this sin cycle where left on autopilot, you and I on a daily basis, we choose us. We choose these thoughts, words, actions, attitudes that go against God's design for our life, and we find ourselves in sin. And what do we do with this fracture? What do we do with this break? And I love that Mikey came up here last night and he said, the solution to reconciling this relationship, to fixing this relationship, to mending between God and us, that solution actually can't be found in us. It has to be found outside of us because we in and of ourselves, we're, we're just here. We're stuck. I was picking up Piper from preschool the other day, and uh, as I picked her up, I, t- I took a turn to go back to my house, and I live in Fallbrook. It's out kind of this like rural community, and I'm, I take a right-hand turn, and I come up on a little bit of traffic. And if you know anything about Fallbrook, like rural community, there's never traffic out here, like ever. And so I kind of, I'm like, that's kind of weird. And I look up and there's two cars that have smashed into each other. And I'm not totally sure what happened, but one car didn't see the other. But they must have been going kind of fast because both the front ends of their cars were just like obliterated. And there's glass all over the ground. There was no cops on the scene yet. And, and so Piper, she's like strapped into her car seat in the back of my truck. And she's like doing the like kid straining thing to look out the window. And she's like, what's going on, Dad? What's going on? I was like, oh, like, I, think, I think these two cars like, bonked. Like, I think they, these two cars, like, they're, they're broken now. And she was like, aww. Like, it like, bummed her out, right? Which I was like, you don't even know these people. Whatever, right? And I'm like, okay, like, yeah, like, these cars are broken. And she goes, we get closer and closer to the accident, and she can see it out her window now. These two cars are spun around. There's glass all over the ground. And she goes, oh. It's okay, Dada. I fix it. And, and I literally, like, I look back at her, and I was kind of, like, got the smile on my face. It's like, you can't help but love when a two-year-old looks at a car accident and goes, it's okay, I got this. <laughs> right, like, just the confidence of this little girl to go, it's okay, Dada, I fix it. And it's, it's funny because we know sitting here, right, as sixth graders, seventh graders, eighth graders, leaders in this room, you know that a two-and-a-half-year-old sitting in the backseat of my truck, like, what's she going to fix? Nothing, right? Like, she... They, there's, no, there's 0% chance that she's going to, like, what am I going to do? Be like, oh, thank God, Piper's on the scene. And just, like, let her out. Be like, don't worry, guys. My two-year-old's got this, right? She's got it, okay? She said she has it. I have full confidence in her. No, like, we, we all look at that. And the reason it's kind of cute is because it's like, oh, Piper, <laughs> you're actually not going to do anything, right? Like, it, you're not going to enter into this scene and make it any better. And I love that Mikey stood up here last night and said that the answer, the solution to this problem that we have, that God is holy, that he is set apart, and we find ourselves in brokenness and sin, that we can't fix it. Us thinking that we can clean ourselves up in such a way that God's going to love us more or accept us more or we're going to get back to him is like us sitting here going, it's okay, God. I got this. I fix it. It's okay. I fix it. And God goes, you, you can't. 
In and of yourself, there's nothing that you can do. And I think this is where some of us, if we're not careful, right? If you've been around church before, I think this is where some of us run into some problems where we go, okay, I'm tired of this whole like church telling me what I have to do and what I don't have to do and what I can do and what I can't do. And this is what I need to obey and this is what I don't need to obey. Like, I just want to be free. Like, I, I remember being in junior high, I remember being in high school, and like, the one thing I wanted, your parents ever tell you to do something? They're like, we're having company over tonight, you need to clean your room. And you're like, my room's upstairs, like, are we having dinner in my room? Like, why, do, why does my room need to be clean? And your mom's like, hey, you, you need to go and clean your room, Austin. And I'm like, oh. Like, I just want to be free. I want to be able to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. And sometimes I think when we hear this whole God is holy and he is set apart and we are sinful and we are broken and he loves us, I think sometimes we just go, ah. Like church and religion and the Bible and all this stuff. Like, like I'm down for camp. I like being up here. I like my friends, I like my community. But like, I just want to be free. Let me do what I want to do. And a couple years ago, I, I got to take our, our youth group. We went down on this trip down to the Dominican Republic. And um, for whatever reason, I don't know why. I know this is like a little bit weird, but like I'm a big hotel guy. Like I love, there's something about hotels that I just, growing up as a missionary kid, we would come, we would travel all over the U.S. Like me and my three siblings, the four of us, we just loved staying in hotels. Like we just, something about being able to like, shower and throw your towel on the ground and like leave your sheets like all over the place and then you come back then like later in that day and it's just all pristine and you're like this is amazing right like there's like some bed fairies that just come in here and like fluff my pillow and leave a chocolate and I love hotels like I love the continental breakfast I love that little like waffle thing you know that you like close and turn and then like wait for a while and then like it's like the best waffle ever I just love going to hotels and so we we get to this uh hotel in the Dominican Republic with our youth group and we roll up to the hotel and they're giving us the whole like hotel spiel right they like give us the room keys and they're telling us all about like when the breakfast is and all that stuff and I was like huh different country same spiel like this is kind of cool and she's giving us the room keys and all the towels and everything and at the very end I'm like gathering my all my youth group kids all around and she's like oh hey by the way Mr. Payne and I'm like uh-huh what's up she's like hey there's a uh there's a field behind the hotel, and you're just going to want to be careful because the Dominican Republic is like a war-torn country. There's been a lot of civil war over the last couple of decades. So in that field behind the hotel, there's actually a bunch of landmines still. So if you go back there and play, just be careful. And I was like, uh, I'm sorry. Like, I, I got the room key in the breakfast part. That, that last part sounded like you said landmines. And she's like, mm-hmm, enjoy your stay. I'm like, uh, confusion sets in, right? Like this, there's one call, youth pastors in the room, right? All the youth pastors. There's one call you don't want to make home, right? And that call is like, ring, yeah, Mrs. Wilson. Um, hey, hi, how you doing? Good, me, yeah. No, we're great. But you know how Timmy used to have two legs? Like, that's not the phone call you want to make when you're a youth pastor in a foreign country, right? Like, I'm trying to take all my kids home, and I'm trying to take all of them home with, like, all of their limbs, like, all of them intact. So do you know what I say as a youth pastor? I go, hey, homies, the field behind the hotel, 
that thing's off limits, right? Like nobody's going back there. And what blows my mind is like I live in, uh, in North County, San Diego, and I, whenever I go to the beach, I always see those people, you know those people with like the headphones on and the basket, and they're like, they're like combing the beach for metal, right? They got the metal detectors, and they're like scooping. I don't know what they're looking for, like somebody's engagement ring, they got lost. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what they're looking for. But in my mind, it would have been as simple as just going back to that field and just like grabbing metal detector and being like, Beep, 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 cone, 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 landmine, okay, right here. Beep, 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 cone, 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 landmine, right here also, another landmine. Beep, beep. Just do the whole field and then step back and go, hey, cones, wherever the cones are, certain death, okay? Like, stay away from those and then you're free to play on the field. Friend, can I ask you a question? Would it be loving of me or kind of me to allow my students to be free to play wherever they wanted on that field? No, right? None of you, like if I was like, hey, students, go play. You're free to play. None of you would go, oh, he loves them so much, right? Like, no, that's irresponsible. If, if freedom is not defined in that scenario by being able to do whatever you want to do, freedom is defined by being aware of the things that lead to certain death. Right? Like if you have a pet fish at home, where are my pet fish owners? Okay, where are you at? Homie right here, what's your name? Jacob, Jacob what's your fish's name? You have too many? Okay, we're going to name one of them I don't know right now, Okay. If that I don't know fish swam up to you and said, Jacob, I want to be free. Let me out of this tank. And you went, okay. And you just scooped up that fish and you let him free in your living room. What's going to happen? That fish dies. Right? Why do we know that? Because y'all are intelligent enough to know, to know that what a fish needs to survive and thrive is it needs water. So freedom is not allowing that fish to do whatever it wants. Freedom is actually creating a confinement in which that fifth fish can thrive. Does that make sense? So if you open up this book and you go, ah, rules and regulations, religion, boring life, but at least I get heaven at the end. Friend, you're misreading the context. That Genesis through Revelation, this is the greatest story ever told that's hardly ever told in its entirety. That when the God of the Bible goes, hey, can I define life? Is it possible that he knows more than we know? Is it possible that the author and creator of life is able to go, hey, I'm going to write you a book to reveal myself, to show you my character? And then I'm going to demonstrate to you, hey, these things will lead to certain death. See, the Bible says we have all sinned and we all fall short of God's glory. But it also said that that, says that that sin has a consequence. That the wages of that sin is death. It's as if when God wrote us the Bible, he went, hey, cone, cone, cone. Don't go here. It leads to death. Cone, 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 let me write some more to you because, hey, don't go here either. It leads to death. And then do you know what the enemy comes in and does? Ah, did God really say? Can you trust those cones? Rules and regulations. Church is boring. Do whatever you want to do. You should be free. And the text that we're going to open up to tonight is going to start us talking about the good news 
that even though we find ourselves in sin and God is holy and set apart, the good news is that God went first and that he is love and that he made a way back to himself. So let's dive in, okay? Ephesians chapter four, verse 20. Hey, Ephesians chapter four, verse 20, and we've done this every night. I'm gonna do it again. Hey, Ephesians chapter four, verse 20. If you're there, give me a nice, loud preach. Preach. Hey, you did it first time there. That was good. Okay, Ephesians chapter four, verse 20 says this. That, however, is not the way of life that you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. See, there's three things I want to point out in this passage. The first is that it says, the truth that is in Jesus You heard this about Christ and you were taught in accordance with the fact that the truth is in Jesus. See, pause right there and look up at me. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says this about himself. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. See, friend, we live in a day and age of TikTok and YouTube and sound bites that say Jesus was just a good teacher. That Jesus is just a historical figure. He was just a nice guy. He, he just had these good morals. And Jesus himself stands up and says, I am the only way to do life. Truth is actually defined by me. There's no such thing as your truth and my truth. There's no such thing as relative truth, that the absolute truth, Jesus says, is me. It's himself. Then he says, I am the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. See, this Jesus is going to make some bold claims. We see in John chapter 1 that Jesus is the word that has become flesh, that the God that spoke into existence, the world, that he steps into a human body like you, like me. He zips up flesh. And he says, I love them so much that I am going to go and live this life. So it says in Ephesians chapter 4, the truth that we find in Jesus. And then it gives us this, this method. It says we need to put off our old self that has its deceitful desires. right? And this old self is the self that finds itself going, ah, Does God really want my deepest happiness? Can I really trust him? The deceitful desires is filled with, did God really say? And then it says, put off the old self and then put on the new self. See, Ephesians chapter four says, it challenges us to say, put on the new self, which has true righteousness and holiness. That word righteousness, it's just a big churchy word that means right with God. So Romans 3.23 says we have all sinned, we all fall short, which means that we are wrong with who? It means that we are wrong with who? God. We're wrong with him. And so this is, Paul is inviting us to put on the new self, which is right with him and holy, and we start to ask the question, how? How does this happen? How do we put on the new self? And can I be honest with you real quick? You're like, haven't you been this whole time? This is where I wish we could just pause chapel. And I wish I could just 
pull up a chair for you. And I'd just pull up a chair for me. And we'd go over to the OK Chalet or the coffee shop or wherever you want to go. We'd just sit here and I wish I could just open up my Bible. And I'd say, hey, I got you a Red Bull because you look a little tired. Okay, this is for you. I got a Pellegrino, some bougie like that. Okay, and I would just open up this bubbly water. And I wish we could just sit down, me and you. Can I go, I, I, I don't want to talk to a whole room. I just want to sit down, just me and you. And as you ask this question, okay, Austin, I understand it, this whole week you've been saying things like, okay, there's this God and we have this sin problem and that we can be invited into this new way of doing life, that we can put on this new self, we can take off the old self, but Austin, how? How? How do I do this? And I wish we could just, we could just share my Bible here. And, and, and just for the sake of time, don't turn to all these places. I would just say, hey, let's just share mine. And I would, I would open up to Romans chapter 1. And I'd say in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, it says that there is a God. And that that God has made himself known. He's made himself clearly seen. That since the beginning of time, creation itself cries out that there's a creator behind it. And if you stumbled upon a cabin in the middle of the woods, you just went on a walk into the, into the forest and you found a cabin, you wouldn't think, man, there must have been a crazy storm last night and the trees fell in just the right way and made this cabin. And when you see a cabin, when you see creation, you go, who made this? And Romans 1 says that creation cries out that there's a creator and that creator has made himself known. And I'd say, okay, now I'd flip over to Romans chapter 3, verses 23 that we've been talking about a lot. It says that we have all sinned and we all fall short. Romans 3.10 says it like this. It says that there's no one good, not even one. So even your best efforts to be like a good person, the Bible's gonna say there's no such thing as a good person. That we in and of ourselves because of the sin nature that we were born into, that no one is good, not even one. We are all wrong with God. You might take a sip of your Red Bull and go, Austin, I thought you said this was good news. And this is where I would look at you and go, it kind of gets worse. Because Romans 6, 23, says that sin has a consequence. And we have all sinned, and the consequence of that sin is death. And you go, well, Austin, doesn't everybody die? I go, yeah, no, you're right, everybody dies. But Paul, when he's writing the book of Romans, he's not just talking about a temporary death. That when Paul uses the word death, the wages of sin is death, this is actually talking about eternity. That you and I, we are actually souls that temporarily have bodies. Right, but do you know, what, do you know what, how the Bible describes our life here on earth? It says it's like a mist. It's like Axe body spray. It's like, it's here today and it's gone tomorrow. So your, your, your physical life here absolutely might die, but your soul will live for eternity, either eternity with God or eternity apart from God. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death, eternity apart from him in a very real place called hell. And you're like, wow, this is terrible news. I'd be like, yeah, it kind of is, but here's where the good news comes in. Hey, Romans chapter five, verse eight says this. At just the right time. Y'all, and this is where it gets exciting for me. God, God says this, my timing is perfect. And at just the right time, Romans chapter five says, while we were his enemies, 
God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. See, remember that Jesus character that said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, nobody gets to the Father except through me? Jesus walked this earth, he lived a life, he experienced pain, he experienced rejection from his friends and from his family. He lived a life just like you're living a life right now, except he lived that life sinless. He never sinned. He lived a perfect life. And then Romans chapter five says, he wants to demonstrate how much he loves you. Right, y'all seen like a, a sport before where somebody writes like John 3.16 in their eye black or on their, on their cleats? It's the most, one of the most famous verses in the world. For God so loved the world that he felt really warm and fuzzy inside. Sorry, that's not what it says. For God so loved the world that he just wrote poetry and songs about it. No, for God so loved the world that he gave that he moved, that there was action involved with that. For God so loved the world that he gives his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not die, spend eternity apart from him, but shall spend eternity with him. So Romans chapter five is the beginning of the good news that's gonna say, hey, hey friend, don't miss this. God wants to demonstrate his love for us in this, that when we were his enemies because of our sin, He sends Jesus, and Jesus lives the perfect life that you and I can't live. And then he dies the death that you and I deserve to die. And you go, whoa, 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 pause. I deserve to die? I'll back up. Remember Romans 6? The wages of sin is what? Death. So who sinned? All of us. The wages of that sin is death. So Jesus comes. He lives the perfect life that you and I can't live. And then he dies the death that we deserve to die. Why? Because he wants to show us how much he loves us. That he will take our place. See, all sin must be paid for, either by you or by Jesus. And we might be sitting here and you go, okay, well, now what? I'm glad you asked. See, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 says, if you, sitting right here in this chapel, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And you go, well, what's Lord? What does that mean? Lord is, it's, it's a Greek word that means, it's, it's the word kurios. And it means to, to bow your knee, to say, I, I hand over the steering wheel of my life to you. I'm no longer in charge. It's you. You are Lord. I confess with my mouth that Jesus, you are Lord. And I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. See, here's the best part of the good news. Jesus, when he paid the penalty for our sin, when he was crucified, he didn't stay dead. That three days later, Jesus resurrected from the grave to prove that he can make dead things alive. Do you know what you and I are without Jesus? We are dead things. And so Jesus, in his resurrection, he proves that he can make dead things alive. He goes, I have the power even over death itself. He pays the penalty for our sin. He resurrects from the grave, and then he invites us into life. See, you and I, we couldn't live a perfect life. Jesus did. You and I have no power over death. Jesus does. So he dies the death that we deserve to die, and then he invites us into the life that he deserves to live. How? Two things. We confess with our mouth that he is Lord. We go, Jesus, I put my hope and my trust in you and you alone. 
And I believe, Jesus, that you didn't stay dead, but that you resurrected. And you now invite me into that life. And now from here on out for the rest of my life, Jesus, my trust is in you based on who you are and what you have done. And so if you say, hey, cone, 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 that leads to death, I go, okay. I believe you. My trust is in you. My hope is in you. And so here's what I want to do right now, friends. If you tonight are sitting in this chapel, and as we've been having this conversation, maybe you picture yourself in this chair, and you go, I've, I've never put my hope and trust in Jesus. I've never fully surrendered my life over to him. And I know I am a sinner. I know there is sin in my life, but I don't want to be defined by that anymore. I want to give my life to Jesus. I just want you to pray this prayer with me real quick. And let me just make something crystal clear, okay? No magic formula of words in a prayer saves you. Right? Standing up in this chapel doesn't save you. Do you know who saves you? Jesus. It is Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection that saves. So if you want to pray this with me, I'm just going to guide you through a prayer that's just a conversation between you and God. And if you've never put your hope and trust in Jesus, would you just pray this with me right now? you bow your head and just say, Jesus, tonight I come before you and I recognize that I am a sinner. God, and tonight I thank you that you lived a perfect life and that you died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And Jesus, thank you that you didn't stay dead. I believe that you resurrected. I believe that you have the power over death. Tonight, I give you my trust. I put my hope in you. I surrender my life to you. And from here on out, Jesus, I live for you. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us first. Amen. Okay, and here's what I want to do right now, okay? If you've never said that prayer before, and you just said it with me for the very first time. Not that you've done this a couple of years ago and this is you, you want to do it again. Friend, this is you, you're saying, I've never said that prayer before, but tonight I give my life to you, Jesus. I just said that prayer with you in just a second. Not right now. In just a second, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, and here's why. Two reasons. Number one, hey, you have a community that came up here with you, your church, your leaders, your counselors, and we want to celebrate with you. Ephesians chapter 4 says, when you put off the old self, that old self represented death and deceitful desires. That tonight, by putting your hope and trust in Jesus, you put on a new self that is right with God, that is set apart, that you are now a son or king, or, or sorry, a son or daughter of the king of the universe. And we want to celebrate that. So for the first reason I'm going to ask you to stand, and I know that can be scary in front of a big room full of people, is just we want to celebrate. Two, we want to keep you accountable. We get to go down the mountain tomorrow back home and we just want to go, hey, how's that going? I know you made that decision at camp. We, we want to be praying for you. We want to walk alongside you. That the next couple of weeks and the next couple of months, we, we want to, as a church, right, your youth pastor, we just want to come alongside you and encourage you in that. So friends, if you made that decision for the very first time tonight and you said that prayer, right now, would you go ahead and stand to your feet? Awesome. Heck yeah. (laughs) 
Awesome. Okay, you guys can sit down. If you didn't stand to your feet just now, you're telling me one of two things. Hey, number one, you've already made that decision. That maybe at another camp or maybe with your family or maybe at youth group, like you've already made the decision to put your hope and trust in Jesus. Hey, and that's awesome. I'm gonna talk to you in just a second. Or you're sitting here and you go, I don't know, Austin. I'm still on the fence about this whole God thing. I'm not sure about the Bible. I don't know if I can trust this yet. And friend, here's what I just want to say. I think you're in the coolest place right now because you're here on a mountain. We got cabin time tonight. We got another half day tomorrow. And then I know confidently that you have leaders here and you have youth pastors here that if you're sitting here tonight going, I don't know, I'm still wrestling with this. My encouragement to you, my challenge to you is keep wrestling. Ask those questions. The worst thing you can do is just go, eh, whatever, and just keep drifting. The best thing you can do is to ask hard questions and go, can you show me why I can trust the Bible? Can you tell me more about this God? I want to explore. I want to investigate more. Keep leaning in. Hey, and for those of you that you're, you didn't stand because you're, you're saying, Austin, I've already made that decision. I've been walking with Jesus for a while. I just want to talk to you for a second, okay? It, within the Bible, something Jesus invites us into, something the Apostle Paul invites us into, is something called repentance, And it's a big churchy word that just means, literally means this, to change your mind. Repentance looks like this. You're walking one direction, you stop, you change your mind, you turn around, and you walk the other direction. And some of you in this room who have made the decision to follow Jesus, your hope and trust is in him, you know that there's something in your life that you need to repent of. You know that there's something in your life right now that's holding you back from fully following Jesus. And maybe it's an area of sin. Maybe it's something that you've just been wrestling with. Maybe it's something you've never told anybody about. But some of you tonight, you need to demonstrate publicly, I need to change my mind about this. And you need to stay here tonight. You need to have a conversation with your leader and you just need to go, hey, I I confess this. This is something I've been wrestling with. This is something I've been struggling with. This is an area that I don't trust God with. And some of you tonight need to repent and go, I'm following Jesus, and yet there's something in the way. There's something holding me back from fully trusting him, from fully leaning in. And tonight, I'm going to ask you to stand for repentance, and here's why. This is scary. I'm not going to lie. To stand in front of your peers and go, hey, there's something in my life that I need to repent of, that's not an easy thing. The adults in this room, repentance is a regular part of their life. They've been following Jesus for a long time, and they need to go, hey, here's an area where I messed up in. And tonight, I'm going to ask you to stand for repentance for two things. One, we want to celebrate with you. You go, there was something keeping you from fully following Jesus. Getting that thing out of the way means that you get to lean into life and life abundant with Jesus. That's the coolest thing. And two, we want to keep you accountable. Your leaders, your youth pastors, we want to go home with you and go, hey, what was it that you repented of? What's that thing? And how, hey, how do, I, how do I encourage you with that? How do I follow up with that? How do I be praying for you with that? So if there's something, if you're sitting here tonight going, I am a follower of Jesus. I've already made that decision, but you know that there's something that you need to repent of. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet right now.
Awesome. Okay, pause really quick. Okay, pause really quick. I'm going to give you an opportunity here. Okay? If you just stood up because the people around you stood up and you went, oh, shoot, people are standing, and you stood up, go ahead and sit down. Okay? If you're standing up right now, here's a promise I'm making you right now. Your leader, your counselor, your youth pastor, somebody tonight in cabin time is going to ask you this question. Hey, why'd you stand up tonight? And I want you, I'm challenging you to have a conversation with them to go, hey, here's the thing in my life that I know needs to change. And as you go off this mountain and lean into your life group and lean into your youth group and lean into the leaders that are up here because they love you, friend, they want to walk alongside you with that thing right now that you're going, this needs to go. This is not a like, how dare you, you shouldn't have. This is a, heck yeah, let's get rid of that thing. Want to know why? Because then it lets us follow Jesus more intimately, closer, and lean into life and life abundant. Everybody else, go ahead and stand to your feet and pray with me. God, thank you for tonight. God, thank you for the opportunity that we have to just see new life. That you lived a perfect life that we couldn't live. I thank you for dying on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And then resurrecting three days later to prove that you can make dead things alive. God, thank you tonight for the decisions that were made that we now worship through music. We sing songs as your sons, as your daughters, some of us for the very first time. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us first. It's your name we pray.